me just make sure I got them. I, I think that this one's going to be a sure thing with who wins, so I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> Alright. Working Fans Podcast, cool. Yep. Alright, here we go, coming down three, two. For another week of the Working Fans Podcast, this is AJ, I'm the former wrestler. We've got Dave, the ultimate fan, here with us, as we do every week. Our producer, Joe, Nate likes to make us sound good and makes us look way more professional than we actually are. As always, you can find us on Twitter, that's at FansWorking, Facebook, Working Fans Pod. We've got email where you can reach out to us and please contact us to let us know what you think of the podcast and for any ideas that you might have that's workingfanswrestlingpod at gmail.com we're on instagram where you can keep up with us at workingfanswrestling underscore pod and then you can now listen to us on all major platforms including anchor.fm we're on google podcasts spotify breaker overcast pocket casts radio public Apple Podcasts, and you can actually check us out on YouTube. Now, it's important when you go onto the Apple Podcasts and YouTube, hit that subscribe button, give us a rating, let us know what you think so you can help us out, and we can continue to do what we love and bring you guys in as fans. Don't think you have to be an AEW guy or a WWE guy or girl. You know what? You can and, and, and just watch some fucking wrestling and enjoy it for what it is. You don't have to, just because you like one doesn't mean you have to hate the other. 100%. You know what? Don't watch that. If you don't like it, don't watch it. Watch what you like, because there's a lot more to choose from now. Hey, everybody. It's the Working Fans Podcast. We're here this week. We're recording and talking two days after the Royal Rumble. Edge is back, and we just kind of wanted to address that real quick. So, Edge and the Royal Rumble. First off, AJ... For me personally, one of the better rumbles we've seen in a long time. I'm not going to say one of the all-time greats, but I would say definitely one of the best rumbles we've seen uh, the last five, six years. First off, I want to give it up for the Ladies' Royal Rumble. To me, the Ladies' Royal Rumble once again stole the show. I think they were absolutely fantastic, well-booked. I don't know who's booking the Ladies' Royal Rumble, who's putting that together, but I think that when you look at the storyline and look how it was put together, I think it's one of the best rumbles I've seen, period. Man, I'm going to disagree a little bit. I liked it, but I thought the men's Rumble actually did better this year. They surprised me. But that also could be because I love Charlotte Flair, but I was kind of looking for somebody else to get over to. So maybe that's part of it. And you're definitely a bigger Charlotte Flair fan than I am. So. Uh, no, I am. I, the one thing that upset me, and it was I was actually a little disappointed that they didn't let Alexa Bliss go longer. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you who won me over real quick, talking about the Women's Rumble. Bianca Belair is winning me over. Uh, Oh, she's incredible. She's got a great personality, great athleticism. I don't think she's actually been shown enough of that in NXT. No, I think she's still a little green, but she's getting better every time. But that's in the ring. But she's making up for it with, like, tremendous athleticism and, like, just a presence. She's got a presence. She's got great strength and just... Super agile. I think she's going to be a force in the next few years. Now, on the flip side, I felt that Chelsea Green got too much time in the ring. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Way to get her over. Well, uh, uh, there was one. Pu- all perfect. There was one thing I think we can both agree on. The yeah. Rumble was made better because we got plenty of Tony time. 
Yeah, I'm always happy to see Tony. I was not happy to see Kelly Kelly. <laughs> no, and she looked horrible. She did. Molly Holly, who's one of my all-time favorites, I thought for the first time, and this is not meant to be as an insult, I thought she looked solid. But that's not a compliment either, because Molly Holly doesn't usually look solid. She usually looks tremendous. And I felt so, so here's the funny thing. People that are listening to this are going to know that we interviewed Ken Kennedy this week. Molly Holly, I thought of this week because she helps train with Ken Kennedy right now up in Minnesota. School's in Minnesota. It is in Minnesota. There you go. Yep. So up in Minnesota, she's actually helping as one of the trainers there and works with the women in that school. And I thought about her this week because I don't think she gets enough credit for the women's revolution and for what she meant when it comes to the great workers in that time period. Yeah. And like you said, she did look solid this week, but there were a lot of spots where I was like, oh shit, she just doesn't have that anymore. Right. And she could be banged up. We don't know, but... Well, she's also gotten older. We, we know Molly Holly's performances because we're such a big fans of hers. Yeah. So... We do have to move on. Molly Holly. I love her to death. So I'll just move on. We'll cover the men's rubber real quick. Before we get to Edge, which I think was the biggest thing. Well, Ty, I guess... There's two other things really to talk about this rumble. To me, it was Brock's performance and the way he was dominating and the story of Brock that was really polarizing for some people. I personally loved it. Because at the end of the day, the fucking pop it got for Drew McIntyre, to me, who came off looking like a bigger star than he ever has, was well worth it. I thought the men's rumble was great. Not only was that fantastic, tell me you didn't love seeing the personality with Shelton Benjamin and Brock Lesnar. In particular, I know we're trying to put, I know what you're saying about Shelton, but Brock's personality overall in this damn rumble just shined. That's what I'm saying. to Keith Lee. His dancing when MVP came out. <laughs> the whole thing where, when he looked like he legit just got mad at Elias and went out there and beat the hell out of him and threw him out. <laughs> like, everything to me about Brock and this shine. Like, I know some people felt Brock jobbed a bunch of people out. Here's the thing, folks. If it was a shoot, <laughs> Brock would still be beating people up in that rumble right now. <laughs> it's like, damn. Now, speaking of that, I think we would both be disappointed on one aspect of the Royal Rumble. Matt Riddle. Exactly, and not getting to see Brock and Matt. I heard there was a little bit of a confrontation in the back. There's a news site reporting it. Well, I heard it from a few places, but there's one news site that reported it today. I can't remember it, but basically, it didn't sound as bad. It basically just Brock went up to Matt Riddle and said, Hey, you should probably get my name out of your mouth because we're never going to work together. And then Matt apparently kept talking and Brock just walked away. So... But apparently that had nothing to do with Matt Riddle's time in the Rumble. That was how it was planned out. But I think we both agree, whatever the reason, I think we just see like there should have been bigger plans for Matt. And on the flip side, Matt was mentioned last night, I believe. I, I read it. You can confirm. I hadn't seen it yet. In Edge's speech on Raw. Yes, he was. Like, yeah. So hopefully there are people pulling for Matt, and we'll see more of Matt Riddle in the future. Obviously, we mentioned Drew. He got the big pop. Brock was great. We thought the biggest news was Ed. And you know what? I almost, as we talk about our 5-3-1 later, like exciting wrestlers, I almost put Edge down. <laughs> but yeah. I realized that I'm just basing that off the fact that I'm such an Edge mark and he's now back. So we have to see him. But, man, it was good to see that guy back. I, I popped so hard. Well, not only, I don't do that much anymore. Not only was it good to see him back, he didn't just come back for a cameo. He no. came in there and went. The interactions with him and Orton, the interactions with him and everybody in that ring, absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, he's great. I, I'm, it's got me excited for WrestleMania. They did a good job. I'm excited to see what's going to happen with Edge and Orton. I'm excited to see what's going to happen with Drew and Brock. 
and I'm very curious to see what else happens the rest of this uh, as we go on right now. I'm very excited. I know we got short on time. Is there anything you want to say before we head out of here? No, all I want to say is that thank you to the WWE for not letting us down for once. <laughs> yes. It, it was it was a great weekend. Worlds Collide was awesome. Royal Rumble yeah. was awesome. Real quick, how about uh, Alexander Roof taking a, a little quick story. Alexander Wolf got legit knocked out. I had some non-wrestling fans over there were watching this with me. They loved the show. I'm in the kitchen. I grab something. I hear like the, the uh, announcers go silent. And I'm like, wait, what's going on? Something's wrong. I just know from all years of wrestling, like, wait, why is everything quiet? And there was nothing wrong with the audio. And I looked out and sure enough, Alexander Wolf gets knocked out. He's fine, but hats off to everybody else in that match because that match, despite being one person down, who knows what spots they had planned out, still delivered and was just an awesome match. Absolutely. Kudos to all of them. And I, once again, I would uh, feel like we would be remiss if we didn't actually say Rhea Ripley and Tony Storm, absolutely incredible match. Love both girls, and I know we want to get out of here, so we don't have time to talk about it. I also just want to say NWA Hard Times pay-per-view was phenomenal as well. Exactly. But we will talk to you guys next week. Dave, tell them, how, tell them where we're at and tell them how we're going to go. I'll tell you where we're at. We're right here. You can listen to the cold open later, and AJ explains every place we're at, because I'm not doing that. <laughs> so fans, we're out of here. Welcome back to another Working Fans Podcast, a second 531 this week, because we had a lot of fan participation. We're there to look at the most exciting wrestler. Let me try that again. I feel like I fucked that a little bit. Go ahead. We're, we're going to look at the most exciting wrestler in the world today. Easy for me to say. You're, right. prob- you're probably going to want to start that one from the beginning. All right, let's just do it. Fuck it. All right, hold on. Welcome to the Working Fans Podcast. we got a special second 531 this week. We're looking at the world's most exciting wrestlers. So basically, whoever you think is the most exciting, whether it's in the ring, whether it's promo, whatever you like, folks, that's what we're going with. We got a lot of people writing in. I'm here with AJ. AJ, we got a lot of feedback. You ready for this? Uh, Yeah, I can't wait to see if I made everybody's list. Yeah. (laughs) Spoiler, you did it. All right. I'm going to start off with Jesse from New Hampshire. He had a pretty good list, actually. Number one, Keith Lee. Number two, Adam Cole. He's going to make this list a few times, folks. Well, it is a big day. John Moxley. Number four, Chris Jericho. Number five, Naito. Nice. All right. I like the Naito one. Well, I believe he's going to make this list because we actually got Kristen this week from Griswold as well, who has Okada, Naito, the Lucha Bros together. (laughs) They're tied. (laughs) Wow. Maki Ito, I'm going to make sure I'm saying that right. She's one of those Joshi girl, AJ, I'm sure you're very familiar with. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Number five, Walter. I will say he originally had Moxley, but he replaced him with Walter. I'm all for that. So Christian really likes the American product. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Considering we had Moxley on there, but then took him off, and that was the only American. All right, got a list from Zach. He's got Tyler Bate, Ray Phoenix... Okada, Osprey, and Kota Ibushi. <laughs> he originally had Nick Aldis, but took him out for Kota Ibushi. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so the Americans are doing well. I'm going to go to Jake's list. We got Will Osprey, <laughs> Pete Dunn, tied for three. All of the Undisputed Era. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Great for Adam Cole. He gets another vote. <laughs> Tomasa Ciampa and Dragon Lee. 
Let's hear it for the Americans. <laughs> My list includes Dragon Lee, Minoru Suzuki, Eddie Kingston, John Moxley, and I had Matt Riddle on my list, but I took him off for Naito. Now, between Dragon Lee, Suzuki, and Naito, the Japanese product, I feel, is so much more exciting than the American product at this moment that these guys are the guys that excite me most over there, even though there are a ton of people over there that I find entertaining. Eddie Kingston is one of these American guys that he comes off as so real. Like last year when he was feuding with Conan and LAX and Impact, there were some of the wildest promos I've seen in a while. And Moxley, I find what he's doing exciting right now because he had that WWE contract and then left to do something else. And he's ended up in AEW at arguably one of the more exciting storylines going on. So I just had to throw my two cents in for the most exciting wrestler list. Thank you. I was going to go to you first. Tell wow. You got that, that, that's awesome. I love to see the Americans holding strong here. Um, I hope Trump doesn't hear our lists. Uh, he's going to get all these guys boycotted. Uh, I'm going to start off with Okada. I think Okada worldwide is one of the most exciting wrestlers in the world. As the rainmaker, when that money hits the crowd, people go nuts. I think it's fantastic. Naito's definitely got to make the list. 100%, without a doubt. Great choices there. I am going to come back to America for the other ones. Right now, believe it or not, one of the most exciting wrestlers for me is actually Adam Cole, baby. Yes. I, I think that without a doubt. I don't like the fact that Keith Lee hasn't made more lists. He's on my list. I think the reaction that he's getting and the excitement. I mean, if you saw the Royal Rumble, when he was face-to-face -face with Brock Lesnar, the amount of excitement, even in that stadium where you couldn't hear a lot of reaction, you got a great reaction for Keith Lee. So I think he's over the top right now with excitement. Yeah. And then I think number one, I am a little sad that we're doing only modern day because I, I hate to leave the Ultimate Warrior off my list. I know you do. I know <laughs> Let's face it, the most exciting wrestler of all time with his catch-as-catch-can style. But my number one, by far, most exciting wrestler to see, and I love to see him every time, Johnny Gargano. That's a good pick. He actually didn't make anyone's list, and he's definitely deserving of it. I'm going to give you my list, and I think we'll appreciate this. First off, Adam Cole, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Number two, you said he should have made more lists. I'll keep you in suspense. Keith Lee. <laughs> I'm a little list. surprised um, Britt Baker hasn't made anybody's list. Right. <laughs> Spoiler, she's not making this list either. Uh, Kodo Ibushi. I actually went with a different New Japan talent. I went with Zach on that one. That's a good uh, one. Hi Tyler Bate, and another guy, and this is a guy who didn't make anybody's list, but when I thought about my favorite matches of the last year, he was in a couple of them, Cody, Cody Rhodes. I See, to me, I went back and forth between Gargano and Cody, and for me, the matches that Gargano's had recently, yeah. that just put him over the edge, but, but, I, now, but Cody almost made my list. I agree, I agree, so now... Judging by this, Adam Cole got the most votes with four, and then we got three people that we need to, one of them has to go. Okada, Naito, or Keith Lee. <laughs> See, to me, it's, uh, and to me, it's Okada and Keith Lee. 
I love Naito. I think Naito's great. He made my list, obviously. But to me, uh, Okada is just pure excitement. Is still the most over person in Japan. And Keith Lee's the most over person right now, period. For I mean, exciting. I would have thrown out Okada, actually. I like. First off, I know everybody who's listening to this is going to go, how's Keith Lee beating out Okada and Naito? But we don't agree with you. We don't follow. We like Keith Lee. We like guys that can move that are fat. That's, that's it. I don't care. <laughs> and, and I got bad news for you guys at the end of the day. It's still our podcast. It's still our podcast. <laughs> so you say Okada. I say Naito. Well, hey, you know what? I'm going to be the gentleman here. I'm going to step off. Let's go Naito. All right, fine. Naito makes it then. So we got Naito, Keith Lee, Adam Cole. Baby. <laughs> They're going to be so pissed at us. But Naito's going. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Christian, we apologize from the bottom of our hearts, which we don't have. <laughs> and bye, Naito. You know, it's funny. Naito made a few lists. I had to fight just to get him in the final three. <laughs> All right. Well, if that's the, the final two, I think, again, we're probably going to be in agreement here, though. <laughs> Unless you surprise me. And this is probably why we shouldn't do 5 3 because they get train wrecked. But, goddamn, I got to go with Adam Cole. There's not a better heel. There's not a better bell-to-bell wrestler. He's a modern-day Ric Flair, Shawn Michaels, whatever you want to put on it. He's that kind of wrestler. Okay, so there's nobody on the planet that I would rather watch right now than Adam Cole. I yeah. think that he's by far the best wrestler. Yep. He makes everybody better. Yeah. However, uh, when it comes to excitement, right now I don't think anybody's more exciting than when you're looking at the corner and you see Finn Balor and all of a sudden Keith Lee's head pops up. <laughs> I don't think anybody's more exciting right now than Keith Lee. Are we possibly also going with a little bit of what they would call recency bias, being that we just saw Brock put over Keith Lee for those few minutes, and I know you popped when Brock said, well, who's this big boy? What's going on here? <laughs> well, it's not just that, but think about what we're actually debating. We're not debating who's the best wrestler in the world right now. We're debating who's the most exciting. Okay, I'm going to counter that one. I, I agree with most. You, you almost got me, but either I'm going to win you back or you're going to prove me otherwise here. Here's the one argument, though. When we're talking about exciting, we do both have to agree if a match goes 45 minutes to an hour, not to say that Keith Lee can't go, but Adam Cole is probably going to still be the more exciting wrestler, right? So, You know uh, what? Screw it. Let's go with Adam Cole. Screw you, Keith Lee. Fuck everybody. (laughs) (laughs) You can take that and take that Joshi woman and shove it up there. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) This is how it goes when we do the 531. All right, people, get fucked. This has been the Working Fans Podcast. This is AJ and Dave. We're out. All right. So. See, to me, that's a fun 531. It is. I think the thing when we get together and do one, like, it's fun. We probably can't do it like this all the time, but <laughs> I think it's fun for the occasional. Just a pop. Well, well, I think also Joe has a tendency of bringing us back down to earth. And throwing a different opinion out of it. Exactly. Yeah. Let's face it, some of those guys would have had a much better chance if Joe was here arguing with them. Oh, 100%. Knight or Okada probably would have moved on. <laughs> exactly. And that's why we love you, Joe. I know this is being recorded still right now. So, Ladies and gentlemen, this is Mr. Anderson. And you are listening to the Working Fans Podcast. Hey, everybody. It's the Working Fans Podcast. This is Dave. 
And today we got a very special guest, former Money in the Bank winner, former U.S. champion, former Impact Heavyweight champion, has his own wrestling school, Mr. Ken Anderson. Ken, how you doing? I'm great. How are you? I'm great, man. I'm great. Running around. You know how it goes. Got a little work today, so. Thanks <laughs> for All right, let's just get, you know, one thing about you that jumps off the page to me, first time I saw you with the microphone gimmick and everything, I just thought, man, this guy is super charismatic and comfortable. And like, usually I ask people, like, what got him into wrestling or broke into wrestling? But with you, I'm kind of curious, were you just always a good talker? It was something I always sort of gravitated to. I remember being a very little kid, and I, I always did well with, like, speech class and stuff like that. I was always into acting. Even when I wasn't acting for, like, a school play or something like that, I was, you know, I would watch movies, and I would recite the movies to my friends and family and I would tell jokes and so it was something that I always just sort of and then when I fell in love with wrestling I fell in love with guys like Steve Austin and The Rock and people that were very good talkers and then when I got into the business that was something that I focused on at any time that I could possibly get an opportunity to speak on a microphone or in front of a camera I always practiced it yeah, I mean, that makes sense. You definitely felt very comfortable. Like, even the first time I saw you in WWE, which, I, I mean, when you got to WWE, how many years had you been working? I mean, I've been working for about six years at that point. Six years? Okay, so you've been a little bit, yeah. And it was like I, I had done all these tryouts, or they're not really even tryouts. WWE doesn't technically have tryouts, but I get opportunities to go work as an extra every few months. And I did that for five years or so. And by the time I had my last one of those before I got hired, I remember just, I just felt like I had been in the business long enough and I had enough stuff in my back pocket from promos that I had cut and the experiences that I had that when I got there, I felt like, you know, I, I, the whole way there, the whole ride getting there, I just wanted to be there. Right. And then when I got there, I was actually glad that it had taken me so long because, you know, I had had a ton of experiences, both negative and positive, and those negatives helped mold me into the person you know that you saw absolutely i mean i think that goes with life anyway right i mean you, uh, you take these negatives that we endure and you become a better person for it a lot of times yeah i i don't know that he was necessarily the one that should get credit for this quote but i've heard that people say thomas edison said i know 200 ways not to make a light bulb yeah and i tell people all the time like i mean i have my own business like delivering bread and i used to work in stores and i've been a manager of people and i always said you know i learn more from making mistakes sometimes than actually doing well like i don't learn much from doing well but when i screw up i go oh okay i remember not to do that again <laughs> exactly you you have to i mean for the most part every successful person out there unless they're successful because they inherited a bunch of money from their family and that's it most of those people have had to They've had multiple failures, and they've tried and failed and tried and failed. Every time they fail, they grow closer to understanding what they need to do to not fail. Mm. And I would say timing has a lot to do with things sometimes in life, too. Totally, totally. The timing, speaking of the timing issue, Dr. Tom used to say that luck is where preparation and opportunity meet. Right. And you, the harder you work, the luckier you seem to get. If you put yourself in positions more, and the more times you put yourself in those situations and... As long as you continue to prepare and you continue to try to better yourself, one of, those, one of these days you will get an opportunity and you'll be in the right place at the right time. And then suddenly you're an overnight sensation, you're an overnight success, even though... You know, like I said, it took me six years to get there. Right. I was actually, because uh, I was doing a little research, it looked like you can confirm this or not, like one of the big things that helped you was running into Paul Heyman, like he was a big supporter of yours? Yeah, 
he was. He really was. And I had I had met Brock Lesnar on one of my little extra deals for the WWE, and we took a liking to each other. And he actually, because I live in Minnesota, and I live in Minnesota at the time, he said, well, I'm going to, I want to get you in touch with Brad Rangan. So he, he sort of helped to connect those dots. Brad Rangan has trained, you know, a ton of oh, yeah. WWE, you know, the nasty boys. He trained, you know, had a hand in training Kurt Hennig. He had a hand in training Joe Hennig. Yeah, legit guy too. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. He was an amateur wrestler that went, was supposed to go to the 1980 Olympics until the president got Carter boycotted the Olympics. But anyway, he connected those dots. So I went and, at that time, I had been in the business for about three years, but I went there and sort of worked on polishing my craft a little more. And, and then, so when Paul Heyman saw me working in the ring one day at a raw taping, he pulled me aside and said, you know, I like what I see. Who trained you? And I said, Brad Rangan's trained me. Well, I said, first I got trained by two guys in, in Green Bay, and then I went to Brad's school, and he immediately lit up, and he was like, I love Brad, I know Brad. You know, obviously Brock was a, was a Brad Rangan guy. Right. And, you know, that sort of started a, a relationship between us. And he, I remember him pulling for me that day. He wanted me to get in the pre-tape room and do some promos. He wanted me to cut a baby face and a heel promo. And he actually sat down and worked with me for like 30 to 45 minutes on examples of what I can say and how I can portray it. This is what he's looking for. It ended up not happening because normally at Raw or SmackDown or pay-per-view, there's a million other things. And there's all these moving parts and it just didn't fit. There were other things more pressing. Um, so I didn't do it, but we sort of kept in touch. And then when I finally did get hired by the WWE, and then about five or six months after they fired Jim Cornette, right. Paul Heyman came down and then Paul immediately pulled me aside and said, I'm, I'm a fan of yours, I've been a fan of yours, we're gonna do stuff. And he said, you're going to be on TV shortly. And then five weeks later, I was on TV. I was making my debut for SmackDowns. Now, you know, it's kind of like, besides, I think we're touching on all the keys to success here. Work hard, bide your time, take negatives into positives. And besides time, and I think networking, too. Meeting the right people and staying in contact, you know? It absolutely. It has, a, you know, being successful in this business, as is the case with every other business, who you know and those relationships that you have with people, it's... If you're known as being a dick, you're not gonna. You're probably not gonna get work. Right. Absolutely. Unless you are just so special, and right. you're a monster, or you have some sort of talent that nobody else can possess. I think that's a big thing because I think a lot of times as fans we look at this like this dream larger than life thing, which it is, but it also is a job. Like you do have to to apply like regular things like you have to get along with people you have to show up you have to be dependable like those are all qualities that you still need i would imagine to be a successful pro wrestler like anything i feel like throughout my life throughout my career i've been in the business now for 21 years yeah i run into people all the time and family members friends ex-family members ex-friends that all seem to think that because my job is cool and it's not the normal nine to five and I get to travel and I get to occasionally when I'm in a town and I have some time to kill, I, I can go out to eat and experience the local culture and do cool things that they think that it's not actually a job, that I'm just out dicking the dog right. the old time. And at the end of the day, this is a job. First and foremost, mm. this is my career. This is a profession. You have to act professionally and you... When you're trying to get a job, you have to present yourself professionally, too. I think some people, you know, Tommy Dreamer used to talk, because Tommy Dreamer was in the office at WWE, 
WWE. <laughs> and he said that he used to get some just atrocious videos and letters from people that looked like, you know, a three-year-old had stuck a crayon up his butt and squatted over a piece of paper and wrote out this statement and cobbled together this crappy video and sent it to him and was expecting to potentially get a, a sniff. Wow. Just not the way it goes. No. You know, one thing I was curious to ask you about, again, we're all human, you know, and, like, you, you guys come off, like, larger than life, but, like, you know, this is your career, but it's also kind of a dream job, I imagine, too, and it's, like, you're meeting, like, a guys like Vince McMahon. I gotta imagine, first time meeting, that, is that intimidating, or is that not you? Are, are you intimidated still a little bit by that? So, I remember, do, do you know who Dick Marcinko is? No, I do not know that name, actually. So, he was the the leader or the developer of SEAL Team 6. Oh, okay. So he was the guy that had had all this experience and who put together this, you know, the elite of the elite, basically. Right. And one of my friends that I used to work with had told me that he met him at one point. He said, you just, he said, the hair stood up on the back of his neck and he sort of just looks through you. Huh. And he has this just presence about him. And honestly, the first time I met Vince McMahon, you know, not like the death stare or anything like that. I don't think he's seen a lot of death in his life. Right. He hasn't done bad things to bad people, but it was that just sort of, this guy is, he's something else. Right. And I think that, that's the case with a lot of people who are uber successful. Mm -hmm. You meet The Rock, anybody who's ever met The Rock just oozes charisma out of every single pore and just presents himself, he holds himself like... You know, yeah. larger than life human beings. Yeah, they own the room. Exactly. Yeah. You went to Impact Wrestling after WWE, and uh, I was going to say, you got in there at a pretty decent time, too. There was a lot of talent. Like, I was looking back, like, Hulk Hogan, I want to say, was there at the time, Kurt Angle. That was a very large roster. We had Kevin Nash, Scott Hall, Rick Flair, Mick Foley, you know, and then you've got, like, the Samoa Jogles and the AJ Styles and Eric right. Young's, all the originals, Bobby Roode's. Christopher Daniels and Frankie Kazarian and, and then you had all these with Jeff Hardy Matt Hardy came in shortly after I was there it was yeah it was huge yeah and they put the world title on you at that time too I mean that had to be a pretty good feeling they did it was, it was a good you know and, and at the time like looking back on it I was a, I was an idiot and I sort of squandered those opportunities I think mm. because I was in a kind of a bad place at the time and I had kind of fallen out of love with the wrestling business and I was in this sort of woe is me I was bitter that I had been fired from WWE. I remember after I won the title, I did an interview and somebody asked me, you know, like, do you see yourself, where do you see yourself in five years or something like that? I said, at the time, I said, if I'm still wrestling in five years, somebody please shoot me. <laughs> and then I went on to say something to the effect of, you know, basically, I, I said that people in the wrestling fight and backstab each other over this title that's actually just a prop, you know? Right. <laughs> you know, things like that, so. Yeah, you weren't in the best spot, obviously, at the time, but you got better. I did. Yeah. Yep. I don't feel that way now. Yeah, no, I can tell. I know, you know, that's good, man. I think, you know, that's like you said, we all got to go through that stuff in life sometimes. One thing I noticed, this is going to be a little random, I was always curious about it because I remember your theme music in WWE had kind of this rock feeling to it. And I actually, in doing a little preparation for this, I, I looked at your Facebook and you had filled out this thing and you said, I don't usually do this. And it was like one of those like favorite bands, last concerts you've been to. And have you always been a big like, you know, classic rock kind of guy? You know, honestly, I like everything. Nice. 
I really do. I really like everything, but I guess 80s, 90s hair metal is my Guns N' Roses, Motley Crue, Ozzy Osbourne, yeah. Queens Rights. You're uh, born in 76, right? I was. Yeah, I am too. So you, that's all, that's why I took notice of that. So that's, yeah. Yeah, but if you look at those concerts that I wrote down, I mean, it's a pretty eclectic. Yeah. Music, so. I mean, you did have Beyonce in there, but you had mentioned that the wife was a fan, I believe. <laughs> oh, yeah, Beyonce. She loves Beyonce. So. Yeah. Like, if, if Beyonce ever comes, we're going. <laughs> right. <laughs> hey. My radar, I have my feelers out there for Beyonce tickets when, they, when she comes around. <laughs> what was it like? I meant to ask you this too. What was it like working with Hulk Hogan? How was that? It, it was amazing, and looking back on it, it was more amazing than I kind of realized at the time, mm. I think. And again, I was in that sort of bad place. So at the time, it was just like, I'm just, this is a job, like any other job. Mm. Not a big deal. I didn't really, I didn't really realize, you know, I, I, just a few months ago, or about a year ago, I just, I happened to. I was trying to find one of my matches on the WWE Network to show my students, and then I kind of got lost on this rabbit hole of all these matches that I had had, and I honestly, like, I had forgotten about them. Mm. Sean was in wrestling, Ric Flair, all the times I wrestled The Undertaker. Right. It's kind of crazy, but it's just strange that at the time, I didn't really think much of it. Just a job. Yeah, right. You're in the moment where, like you said, you may be in a bad place. And yeah, you can certainly, as you get older and you look back, I'm sure you develop a definite appreciation for that. Because how many people have done that, you know? So now you're uh, with NWA Power. I grew up a wrestling fan. I loved WWE. I was a Northeastern guy, but God, NWA was right there for me. Ric Flair, Dusty Rhodes. How's it feel to be working with, uh, with the NWA and Billy Corgan and that group? It's pretty awesome. And I really love working for Billy and Dave. I've had good experiences across the board working with those guys in the past. I, one of my favorite things that I've ever done was work a program where Billy Corgan was the, you know, was the basically the uh, in charge of creative on that. And so I'm just, I'm really glad that the company is doing as well as it is right now, and that people are all, people are enjoying the product, and that people, I think, having the one hour program leaves people wanting more and that's a good place to be in 100% I will say as a fan NWA Power is right up there now like my, my favorite shows personally are NXT it's wrestling heavy and NWA Power and another show I like is MLW and one of the reasons why NWA and MLW is like they're about an hour long easy to digest fun show I feel like for some reason in this day and age you can't just go to a two hour movie anymore or an hour and a half long movie mm. everything has to be two and a half hours and it's exhausting to me Right. And I say that knowing perfectly well that I will sit down and binge watch. Like, the latest one we watched on Netflix was you. I watched eight episodes in a day. <laughs> but just, I don't know. There's something about, I, I always, I'm a firm believer in less is more. Yep. More is less. And I, I wish that, I, I sort of feel like, it's not just wrestling, it's just entertainment is really oversaturated right now. And you, <laughs> Oh, yeah. No, I agree totally. Actually, a little off topic. I'm somewhat of a Star Wars nerd, too, and uh, The Mandalorian, which we like. It's a good good show. It came out once a week, and I had younger friends, again, I'm 43, who were complaining, saying, oh, we got to wait a week to watch this? And I'm like, that's, I love that. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. I've launched the 
things that I, I remember I used to watch WWE Raw. Yeah. And at the time, it was like that was the only thing really on TV. I think there was Nitro was on. I didn't really watch Nitro at the time. But I remember something would happen at the end of Raw that would be a major cliffhanger, and you would be like, no, what's going on? I remember seeing Austin going up the ramp after one of his successes, and Shawn Michaels came out and super kicked him on the top of the ramp, and he left like, oh my God, what's going to happen next week? And so all week we would go to work and we would talk about like what's going to happen next week. And then when they introduced SmackDown, I remember at the time, at work, nothing's just huge. I was a nuclear security officer, so we, you know, we had to sit in a box for like 12 hours a night, and that's all we would do is phone each other and talk about wrestling and talk about that stuff. But then SmackDown came around, I remember a bunch of the guys just sort of falling off. Like, uh, I can do Monday nights, but, you know, my wife hates it when I'm... Yeah. She already doesn't like it, and she's not going to let me watch <laughs> two nights a week. So then they would start, and at the time, the, the brands weren't split, the split wouldn't come for a really long time after that. So it was like, you watch Raw, and then if you didn't watch SmackDown, by the time Monday rolled around again, there had been a bunch of stuff that took place that you would sort of be in the dark about. Mm. I think a lot of people started falling off there. Yeah, I, I would agree. I mean, I think, yeah, it's just overkill. The Monday Night Wars were successful. They were awesome. They were competitive. But also, that was the beginning of having a pay-per-view every month, too. That's another thing I, I've never been a big fan of. Pay-per-views just sort of get watered down, and mm -hmm. I remember being at WWE at the time, it was like we would do a pay-per-view, and then the next day we would already be like scrambling to decide what we were going to do, how we were going to promote the next pay-per-view, because the next mm -hmm. pay-per-view is a month or sometimes even less than that full month, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm a fan of the three, uh, four pay-per-views a year. I really, I think that gives you three months to really build storylines for the next one. Less is more, yeah. yeah, I agree. Sweet spot. I think uh, UFC and MMA sometimes, I'm a fan of that too. They have the same issue now too. There's a pay-per-view every month and I, I wish it was just back to a big fight feeling. And wrestling has that big fight feeling too sometimes. And to me, like when you get that electricity in the air, there's just nothing better. And that's hard to do when you're doing it every month. However, it's not lost on me that, what do I know? I'm, a, I'm not a billionaire. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> They're making money. <laughs> doing something right. It works. But. Well, We'll go over a couple more quick questions. I'll let you go soon. Uh, one thing I'm curious about, this day and age, obviously, ah, man, maybe in the last 10 years, social media. I mean, how much are you using that now compared to, say, when you, like, you know, were first in WWE? I, I got to imagine, like, you must use social media a lot more now. Uh, you have to. You really, you just like it or leave it, or, you know, love it or hate it, you have to have it nowadays. Yeah. So I hate having to constantly self-promote i think we're it kind of pisses me off that we're in this age of look at me it's very narcissistic mm -hmm. um, there's you know basically everybody's taking pictures of what cool stuff they're doing <laughs> and shouting at the world look at the cool stuff that i'm doing that you're not doing uh, you know it's, look at all the fun that i'm having without you yeah and i know it's not all that but it just kind of sucks that altruism sort of gone out the window. You know, if I give money to a homeless person on the street, I don't need to tweet about it. I don't need to tell somebody about it. Just do it. Right. But, you know, I realize that it all, stuff like that also raises awareness for other people to think, oh, I should probably do that too. So I get it, but, you know, it's I'm torn. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I'm the same way. I mean, I think 
there's a lot of good that can come with it, but there's also a, um, you know, I mean, I was telling somebody, I mean, you can probably relate to this too. Like, you know, when you're a kid, you maybe you insult somebody or you get into a fight or you pick on somebody and you're going to have a reaction. You might feel bad. You might go, oh, I shouldn't do that. Nowadays, kids just type something online, social media, make fun of that kid, walk away, feel great. They're not learning any remorse. They're not learning anything. It's just like it very, it does create a toxic environment as well. It does, and I realize that it's not all that way, and there's a lot of positive you go soon so uh, why don't we talk about your school tell us what it's like to be a trainer and how everything's going with the school so i actually love it and i love it more than i ever thought i would mm. um, it was something that i always sort of wanted to do once i felt like i got enough experience under my belt that i should pass that knowledge on to other people but uh, we opened the school in 2016 i've had about 250 people come through our doors to at least attempt to be a professional wrestler of that 250 we've had 25 graduates not a huge Success rate is about 10% success rate, which I like. Uh, we, we do not run a, your typical, you know, you go to Taekwondo, they tell you, with two and a half years, you'll have your black belt. Mm. We, don't, we don't run that way. Right. So my staff approval on you, which is what the graduation thing is. Hey, I trained this person. I want to be able to know this person is good to go. And they're not going to, you know, if you book them on your show, they're going to give you a good product, good performance. So, yeah, we train Monday through Thursday. 7 p.m. till class is usually from 7 to 9, 7 to 10, 7 to 11, depends on the day. And then I, I give them open gym, so I allow them to just kind of hang out. They can watch tapes, they can talk to each other, be around like-minded people, cut promos, work on the stuff that we went over in class. And then, you know, I try to help them get in the point where they can present themselves to promoters and and try to get working right now. There's about 10 different promotions that run in the Twin Cities on a regular basis. So it's there, there's a ton of opportunity for guys to, okay, when you're ready, just get out there and start working in front of a small crowd, but a live crowd. That's great. If anybody's interested, we have a website, which is the Academy Pro Wrestling at gmail.com. And you can email info at the Academy Pro Wrestling.com or you can call or text our number. 507-722-2776. Follow us on uh, on Instagram and Twitter. It's the Academy S O P W. Um, you know. And uh, if you're interested, give us a buzz, text us, call us, send us an email, and we'll try to figure out what we need to do to make your dreams a reality. That's awesome, Ken. Is there anything else you want to promote before you go? You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram. I just started up. Uh, my YouTube channel again, which is Ken Anderson. We're going to start putting out some content there. I did some videos after I left WWE that got some recognition, and it just got to the point where it was, you know, it was a lot of work, and I'm sort of ready to jump back in with both feet. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Ken. Thank You've been you great. Ken, that was awesome. Home run. Thank you so much for being gracious with your time. I ran around today, and you made it all worth it, man. Thank you so much. Good deal. Thank you. Yeah, have a great day, bud. Hey, guys. It's producer Joe here. 
This is the 531 where we bring our top five list, debate it down to a top three, and then from there work our way down to a top one. I'm dealing with the death of my dad this week, so I wasn't here for recording. But this was such a good topic that I wanted to record something and at least get my teams in there. So my top five for the underrated tag teams are the SATs, or as they were known in MLW, Los Maximos, Joel, and the other guy. I'm sorry, I can't remember the name. Number two on the list is the Hollywood Blondes. Number three is Jay Lethal and Jonathan Gresham. I would say they're underrated just because what they're doing is on ROH. And right now, that's just not seen by as many people. Number four on my list is the Graysons. You'll see these guys a lot in ML or not MLW, NEW. And they are just a great tag team. They've done matches with Insanely Rude and Private Party that have just been real good. And number five on my list is Rapongi 3K out of New Japan Pro Wrestling. And even within that team, you've got Yo and Sho. And I would say Sho is probably the higher prospect, while Yo is a great wrestler that he's not getting overshadowed by his partner, but a lot of people see more potential in one than another. And it's tough for them because they're paired with Rocky Romero coming off the Rapongi Vice team. And they didn't catch on like Rapongi Vice did, but they are having a good run. So they are definitely a team worth checking out. So that's my note on the 531. And you guys take it easy. Have a good one. All right. It's Dave here with AJ. And we're about to kick off our 531 this week. We're looking at most underrated tag teams. So basically, your favorite underrated tag teams. I got lists from Jesse from New Hampshire. I got a list from Jake, and I got a list from Zach. AJ, what do you think? You got a list ready? Oh, I've got a list ready, and I'm excited. I've been waiting to get a hold of this Jesse from New Hampshire since you guys interviewed him last week. All right, well, I'll tell you what. I'll start off with Jesse's list then, all right? Let's go. Jesse had a very good list. I, some of his names didn't make any of these other lists, but they're unique. I, I liked them. Number one, the world's greatest tag team, Charlie Hoss, Sean Benjamin. I think you'd like that one. I love that one. Number two, the two-man power trip, Stone Cold Triple H. Number three, the Eliminators, four, Eminem, and five, AJ, I know you would have definitely had this one on your list. You probably do. Kidman and Rey Mysterio. Oh, absolutely one of my favorite tag teams. How could, <laughs> how could that miss, really? <laughs> All right, I'll continue on. We'll go with the fans here. Jake had power and glory. The Hollywood Blonde. Art Barr and Eddie Guerrero, I don't think they'll make your list. Doom and the Skyscrapers. Nice. And then another list here real quick. We'll do Zach. He had Power and Glory also. They're brothers, by the way. Um, okay, first of all, Power and Glory were not brothers. <laughs> Barr and Guerrero too, as well. The Blondes as well. And this one surprised me, given if you know how old Zach is. The Rougeau brothers made his list. All right. What do you got? Well, first of all, I'm annoyed because way to steal my thunder, Zach. I've got the Rougeau brothers on my list. <laughs> all right. To me, one of the um, tag teams who made everybody else look good. Um, they truly are one of those tag teams that just were underrated in what they could do for others. 
and they're performing in the ring. Not only that, but they were great as heel and as face tag team. I 100% agree with Jake with the Hollywood Blondes. So I think the Hollywood Blondes don't get enough, unfortunately, between what Brian Pillman did uh, with his anti-Booker gimmick and with what Stone Cold Steve Austin became, I think that both of them don't get remembered enough for how great of a tag team they were. And I actually, believe it or not, have the other Hollywood Blondes actually on my list. I think that we don't talk enough these days about Ray Stevens and Nick Bockwinkle as a team or Pat Patterson combination with Ray Stevens. People forget that Ray, um, that they were a combination of the Hollywood Blondes also. I'll take your word for it. I couldn't actually remember who the original Blondes were. So It's Ray Stevens and Pat Patterson. Okay. Great tag team. Then from there, our Art Bar and Eddie Guerrero, as you know, were on my list. <laughs> yeah, I had a feeling. Uh, so one of the truly great tag teams. I think that it's sad the only reason that they stopped was Art Bar obviously passing away. So yeah. it's, it's sad that we didn't get to see more of that. They were a really good team. I do, however, disagree with Jesse from New Hampshire. I am not a big fan of Rey Mysterio and Billy Kidman as a tag team. I think I... Way to note that. (laughs) No, no, no. I just wanted to make sure you knew they weren't on my list. (laughs) I knew there was some doubt because you said they might be on my list. I just wanted to tell you why they didn't make my list. Um, My last tag team is actually an old NWA team. I am a huge fan of the Briscoe Brothers. I think Jack and Jerry from Mid-Atlantic Wrestling told great stories in the ring and were a great tag team and underrated these days. Well, we go, as you know, we go with people, the majority of opinions rule. And actually, the Hollywood Blondes were on Jake and Zach's list and your list. And I'm about to do my list, which also has the Hollywood Blondes, so they'll be be making it in. Uh, That's Pillman and Austin. But also on my list, Davey Boy and Owen, I thought were an underrated tag team. You went with Um, them over the Anvil and um, Owen? The Anvil and Owen? Yes, I absolutely did. I thought you were going to say the Heart Foundation. I'm like, well, the Heart Foundation are underrated. But yes, the Anvil and Owen actually slipped my mind. I'll beat myself up about that later. <laughs> <laughs> the Rockers, even though they were a great team, they never officially had the WWE Tag Title. So in my mind, a little underrated considering how good they were. This team I don't think gets enough credit. Iron Anderson and Bobby Eaton. And the last team to make my list, besides the Blondes, I already mentioned, Dustin Rhodes and Ricky Steamboat. Had a lot of great matches, would go on to great singles careers, but I thought they had a really good chemistry and worked well against the Dangerous Alliance and Gordy and Williams. The the funny thing is, is two of the teams that I almost mentioned were similar to what you mentioned. Because I almost mentioned Iron Anderson, but with Larry Zabisco <laughs> from the Dangerous Alliance. And I, al- I thought about I thought about Zabisco, but I just thought Bobby and I were a little better. But <coughs> I also no. almost went with Dustin Rhodes. But I almost went with him with Barry Windham. I thought about them. That that was actually, it was neck and neck. I, I thought him and Steve brought a little something different. But, so, but, it, but it's funny that we almost had different variations of each other. Oh, yeah. I do want to say, though, judging by my numbers here, we, we usually we got narrowed down to three, but we have four teams that all seem a good amount of votes. Well, the Blondes got four, 
Art Bar and Guerrero got three. And the Rougeos and Power and Glory both got two. Wow. To join the Rougeos, the Bar and Guerrero, I'm going to ask you for your opinion. And I think I already know the answer to this because you picked the Rougeos. (laughs) (laughs) But are you changing your mind and thinking, hmm, Power and Glory would have been the way to go? Not even remotely. (laughs) And and I'm going to be honest here. It's mainly because I blame Paul Roma for ruining the horsemen. <laughs> I actually had a lot of talks this week about how Paul Roma was underrated and a good tag team wrestler. <laughs> no, no, and he was underrated and a good tag team wrestler. Him and Jimmy Powers, him and Hercules, I think they did make a good team. They just had the least amount of personality, whereas to me the Rougeaus had the total package of being able to work in the ring and a great personality. If I got to pick one team to move on mechanically in the ring, it's kind of hard to go against the Rougeos when you're combining those two. Well, plus, how um, do you go against all American boys? That actually was working against them, but <laughs> <laughs> it went, went into spite. <laughs> all right, so now we got the Blondes. I think we know who we're going to eliminate first from this. Bar Guerrero and the Rougeos. Rougeos, you made it in, but you're making it out. <laughs> <laughs> They went over the top rope first in our Royal Rumble. A hundred percent. I, I don't think we're gonna disagree. I mean, again, it's our fa- It's also probably our favorite underrated teams, and I think we're both partial to the Hollywood Blondes and Art Barney Guerrero here. Yeah. To be honest with you, as we go down this list, I think it's going to be unfair to everybody as to which one's going to win this one. Well, let's see. Because <laughs> I don't know if you agree. We'll find out. I got to go with Pilbert and Austin. I am also going with the Hollywood Blondes. As much as I love Art Bar and Eddie Guerrero, too yeah. small of a sampling to actually go head-to-head. You're talking about a team in Pillman and Austin that just really set the bar, no pun, except, no pun intended, as to what a tag team could be. Whether it's coming to the ring with the cameras, whether it was mocking the horsemen, whether it was just doing... In-ring work, you're talking about two guys that could go from the moment the bell. The flair for the old stuff is still some of the best work, and I'm a flair guy. I love flair, but the stuff they were doing right there was just some great heel work. Yeah, the flair for the old was great. Imagine what they could have done um, 15 years later. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, 100%. All right, well, I guess that's going to do it for the 5-3-1 this week, guys. Me and AJ actually didn't argue a lot. We agreed on these guys. So, however, <laughs> however, do not think this will carry over to the next five three one that we do, which might be later in the episode. We'll see how this goes today, folks. All right, that's it for this week's five three one about tag teams. This is the Working Fans Podcast. We'll see you. All right, so that wraps us up for this week. Thank you again for listening to the Working Fans Podcast. So as always, you can find us on Twitter at Fans Working. Our Facebook page is Working Fans Wrestling Pod. We have email where you can reach out to us and let us know what you think also. That's Working Fans Wrestling Pod at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram, Working Fans Wrestling underscore pod. And then as always, please continue to listen to us on Anchor.fm, Google Podcast, Spotify, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, all your major platforms. If you're following us on Apple Podcasts, which we are also on now, and YouTube, please make sure you subscribe and give us a five-star rating. It helps us bring you these podcasts where we get to talk to you and talk with you every week. 